Here it is. From deep inside your audio device of choice. Ladies and gentlemen, you may not know this, but there is fairly frantic activity going on backstage, <laughs> behind the scenes, in um, major media, uh, particularly the online variety. Apple, your friends at Apple, have announced that um, in a forthcoming update of their uh, operating system for the phone, and I think that they're doing this on the computer too, they're going to make it harder for advertisers to track you. You know you've been tracked, right? Uh, you can get a browser that will tell you just how many trackers are on each web page you visit. And that would be a good way of knowing that, in fact, you are being tracked. But as I say, Apple, which is trying to build a reputation as a company concerned with your privacy, and by that I mean with not invading it. The other kind of, other companies like Facebook are concerned with your privacy. But in that other way. So a Apple is doing this because they can, because they're big and rich, and they have kind of a captive market. Once, once you buy Apple stuff, you're sort of in the Apple world. And so um, advertisers and companies that have been making their bank on personalizing your advertising experience are um, frantically, as I say, behind the scenes, trying to come up with something that will replace the cookies, which are on their way out, and the other tracking tools that have been used to personalize your advertising, to make your pers your advertising experience more relevant. And as I say, it's it's going on at a fairly frantic pace right now, behind the scenes, so that they can convince themselves, well, so that these outfits, your Google, your Facebook, can convince advertisers that their advertising will still be as effective as ever. <laughs> you know how effective that is. I, I just bring this up because I want to point out that here at Le Show, yes, we invade your privacy. We track you for the precise purpose of depersonalizing your experience, making it less relevant to you. You're welcome. Hello, welcome to the show. I feel so good, I'm gonna break somebody's heart tonight. I feel so good, I'm gonna take someone apart tonight. Pound notes and a half naked woman with a tongue. 
from the from the home of the homeless. That's okay. From the home of the homeless in Southern California. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? I know I will. Thank you. Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. I can hear it now. U.S. and European scientists have called off the balloon over Sweden. Remember last week's show? I shared with you. I'm a sharer. Uh, the story of an attempt at geoengineering was going to involve hoisting a balloon over Sweden just to test part of the technology behind geoengineering where we attempt to de- deflect some of the sun's rays away from the planet to deal with global warming, climate uh, climate change. Well, that ain't happening. A team of Harvard scientists have been planning to launch the high-altitude balloon from a space station in the Swedish town of Kiruna. It's not my Kiruna, it's theirs, but to test whether it could in the future carry equipment to release solar radiation-reflecting particles into the atmosphere. The project has been dubbed Scopex, because you have to call it something, mimicking the effect of volcanic eruptions. The project supporters... <laughs> Well, that's, that's what the, the supporters say they would do. They're not actually doing that. That's, that's some good writing there. The project supporters say the technology should be studied to see if it could become a method of combating global warming. But the project, this is from org, by the way, the project, like geoengineering itself, has raised concerns among both scientists and environmentalists who say the technology is dangerous and risky. If those aren't Yes, they are. Critics fear the injection of particles into the stratosphere could damage the ozone layer and disrupt ecosystems. The scientific community is divided regarding geoengineering, according to the Swedish Space Corporation, a state-owned agency. Following dialogues with experts, stakeholders, and Harvard. <laughs> so Harvard is neither an expert nor a stakeholder, but it's a Harvard. The, they've decided not to conduct the technical test flight plan for this summer, according to the Swedish Space Corporation. A special committee set up by Harvard to study the societal and ethical aspects of the project had also called for the test flight to be postponed in order to review the implications for Sweden's indigenous Sami people and Sweden in general, which do you think they rated high, more highly. The committee recommended, quote, that societal engagement should occur in Sweden before any such research is conducted in the country. This will likely postpone the platform launch until 2022, it said. That's a lot of societal engagement. One year's worth. Okay. That's all it takes. It'll be... We'll be seeing that balloon over Sweden before next summer, I guess is the point here. Hey, methane levels in the atmosphere surged during 2020. That marks the biggest increase since records began way back in 1983 in what scientists call a worrying development for the planet. Planets worried. See the wrinkle lines on the mountains? This is from Reuters. New data showing both methane and carbon dioxide reached record amounts in the atmosphere last year, 
despite the uh, virus bringing much of the world's economy to a halt. So I guess we can't play in the economy. A physical scientist at NASA, uh, sorry, at NOAA, National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, said the jump in methane levels was, quote, fairly surprising and disturbing. We don't usually expect them to jump abruptly in a year, Lori Brewweiler said. Exact reasons for the increase are not yet known, she added. You know, methane is 28 times more potent a uh, factor in global warming than is carbon dioxide. It comes from using fossil fuels and from microbial sources in wetlands. The emissions of cows and landfill. About 60% of methane emissions are linked to human activity, while the rest arise naturally from swamps or melting permafrost. Well, melting permafrost is due to human activity, babe. I'm, I'm talking to fizz.org here. The NOAA data show that methane concentrations rose by 14.5 parts per billion last year. Carbon dioxide emissions fell about 6% last year, thanks to the pandemic. But... Despite the reprieve, the concentration of CO2 in the atmosphere still rose. The record CO2 levels in the atmosphere were expected because the gas stays up there for up to 100 years, but the sudden increase in methane concentrations came as a surprise. It's very scary indeed, said Ewan Nesbitt, professor of Earth Scientists at Royal Holloway University of London. One hypothesis for why is a rise in emissions from biological sources such as wetlands. Parts of the tropics have grown warmer and wetter because of the climate change, triggering the release of more methane, he says. Another hypothesis is that the atmosphere's ability to clean up methane by breaking it down over time has declined. A warming planet could be causing more natural emissions of methane, said Durwood Zetke, at the uh, Institute of Governance and Sustainable Development. He's head of it. It's an environmental, environmental charity in Washington. Cutting methane emissions can slow global warming more quickly than reducing those for carbon dioxide because methane doesn't stay in the atmosphere for as long. It's given off by oil and gas extraction, for example, from leaks and gas pipelines. Those are nice. News of the Warm, a copyrighted feature of this program. And now, ladies and gentlemen, News of the Olympic Movement, produced by Jim Ebersol III. North Korea has decided not to participate in the upcoming Tokyo Olympic Games, thereby scuttling any hope that the occasion will lead to a diplomatic breakthrough with the rogue state, according to Nikkei Asia. The last such Olympic breakthrough occurred at the Pyeongchang Games three years ago. The uh, North Korea Sports Ministry gave a terse statement on withdrawing from the Games to protect its own athletes from the global public health crisis that is the coronavirus. Are you scared of it, are you? The impoverished state has been on edge over the outbreak since the early days. The border with neighboring China was shut down January 2020. North Korea also imposed strict travel restrictions, like that's new, and quarantined suspected cases. 
The country is now working to resume trade with China as early as this month, fueling speculation that skipping the Olympics is more political, as was his decision to flaunt its thaw with South Korea at those Pyeongchang Olympics. As if the Olympics is political. Suddenly. Not since 1960, I guess. Is it 60? The government in Japan is desperate to avoid yet another coronavirus state of emergency, according to the GG, uh, Japan Times, which has something called the GG Press. They're desperate because COVID-19 cases are surging in several areas ahead of this summer's Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics. Perhaps to that end, the government this week, the Japanese government, decided for the first time to take pre-emergency measures in hotspot prefectures under a revised special law that took effect a couple of months ago. If Japan fails to contain a resurgence of infections in many parts of the country, it may have to issue a COVID-19 state of emergency for the third time. Maybe it's lucky visitors have been banned. Uh, foreign visitors have been banned. But that third state of emergency would pose a new obstacle for the summer games, for which enthusiasm among Japanese is already waning amid the global health crisis. bets it's going to happen? It's got to happen. It's the Olympics. It's a movement. And we all need one. Every day. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I... I don't think I've ever said this in public before. But I... I guess I have to say it today. I'm lucky I'm not in Saudi Arabia. A Saudi court's decision to sentence an aid worker to 20 years in prison for allegedly using a satirical Twitter account to mock that government. that, That decision, according to The Guardian, has been linked to the infiltration of Twitter by Saudi agents in 2014. The case has drawn the attention of senior U.S. officials. Those are the ones who... I guess, don't care about the murder of Khashoggi. Abdul Rahman al-Sadan, a 37-year-old aid worker with the Red Crescent, that's um, the Middle East version of the Red Cross, he was sentenced by Saudi Arabia's specialized criminal court. It's specialized! And given an additional 20-year travel ban, after, he, I guess, he gets out of prison, if he might want to leave Saudi Arabia, should he want to leave Saudi Arabia at that time, This follows allegations that he used a popular parody account to mock the Saudi government. It's unmockable, sir, don't you know that? The case is significant in part because Sadhan's 2018 arrest and subsequent trial, following a long disappearance during which his family didn't hear from him, he was just resting. That's believed to be connected, as I say, to the infiltration of Twitter by Saudi agents in 2014 and 2015. That was first reported by Bloomberg last year. The uh, U.S. Department of Justice a couple years ago charged three Saudi nationals with illegally accessing private information of certain Twitter user accounts 
and providing information about the accounts to Saudi officials. This was, as I say, two years ago under a different administration. I forget whose. Two of the Saudis who were charged were Twitter employees who, according to the DOJ, used their employment to access information about Twitter users who were critical of the Saudi government. See, it's like a system. Two former employees are believed to be in Saudi Arabia. They weren't apprehended by the U.S., charged but not apprehended, almost as if they were Russians. The private information that was obtained, quote, could have been used to identify and locate, unquote, Twitter users who published posts critical of the regime, U.S. Department of Justice said at the time. Twitter hasn't disclosed the identities of the individuals who were possibly exposed in the alleged breach. A Saudi dissident living in exile told The Guardian he believed the breach was directly responsible for Saddam being identified as the possible user behind the parody account. According to a a Saudi activist who lives in exile in Canada and has previously warned, has been previously warned, that he was a possible target of the Saudi government, quote, for us activists, Twitter is our platform, it is our parliament. We want to have a voice there, but the Saudis are using their tools, they're using their experts just to silence people. They don't want us to share our opinion, unquote. Spokesperson for Twitter declined to comment on specific questions about Sidon's case, where the account he's been accused of using anonymously. The FBI declined to comment. Nobody's talking. Twitter Twitter spokesperson, though, said the company had acted swiftly to cut off access to malicious, malicious actors using its user data as soon as it learned of the problem. The case has raised concern at the U.S. State Department, which said it would continue to monitor the case through an expected appeals process. Quote, as we've said to Saudi officials at all levels, freedom of expression should never be a punishable offense, according to the State Department. They've continued, we continue to elevate the role of human rights in our relationship with Saudi Arabia and encourage legal reforms that respect the human rights of all individuals. The uh, person in question, Saddam, was forcibly disappeared in March 2018 after being kidnapped from the headquarters of the Saudi Red Crescent in Riyadh, where he worked, wasn't heard from for 23 months after that. What they're charging him on is based on tweets. The charges are based on the peaceful use of social media and criticizing Saudi human rights abuses and social justice issues, said the activist now in exile in Canada, who also points out at the same time Khashoggi's murderers are walking free. And one of them is just one of the 15,000 princes in the land thereof, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. We've got the ultra-modern neck of getting oil from the deepest crack So give the boys just a bit of slack And say a hearty what the frack Well, I guess there are earthquakes in Oklahoma caused by fracking after all. Farmers Insurance Group, which uh, sells home insurance, among other products. I thought an insurance policy was a service, but it's a product, turns out. They're going to pay $25 million to settle allegations it underpaid or denied over 1,000 earthquake damage claims 
relating to a spike in seismic activity in the wake of fracking in a part of Oklahoma known as the Woodford Shale. The Attorney General of the state of Oklahoma, Mike Hunter, and the Insurance Commissioner, Glenn Mulready, both Republicans announced the deal this week. They say farmers overwhelmingly denied the claims filed after the increase in earthquakes began way back in 2013. In certain cases, farmers justified denial of coverage based on its claim that the damage to the insured's property was not caused by an earthquake. Was it caused by fentanyl? Methamphetamine? No, the governor, the uh, attorney general and the insurance commissioner didn't ask that, but they did say farmers in most instances had not conducted inspections of the property prior to issuing the earthquake policy to support such denial of coverage. In other cases, farmers utilized inadequately trained claims adjusters you know, just just this claim to assess the damage to the insured's property. Unquote. Farmers agreed to reopen the claims process and have an independent administrator reevaluate each of the underpaid or denied claims. The insurer also agreed to make additional payments under the settlement if the administrator decides there's not enough money to pay eligible claims. Within 10 days of receiving such notice, farmers will provide an additional payment to the state treasury account holding the funds in escrow. The attorney general said the settlement is a great win for Oklahomans who paid farmers earthquake premiums. Farmers, as you might expect, emphasize the settlement is not an admission of wrongdoing. Farmers stands by the work of its claims adjusters in the state. The settlement comes after five, uh, five years after the U.S. Geological Survey first linked the skyrocketing seismic activity in Oklahoma to fracking. The state only recorded an average of one and a half earthquakes a year before 2005, 3.0 or greater. The state recorded several hundred earthquakes over 3.0 after 2005, many of which are thought to be related to wastewater injection injecting the water used for fracking back into the earth whence it came. Several individual property owners and Native American tribes in Oklahoma have sued oil drillers in recent years, blaming earthquake property damage on nearby fracking. One such lawsuit claimed the number of earthquakes in the state have jumped 300-fold. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency also suspected the role of fracking in increased earthquakes in nearby Texas. Concluding five years ago, there's a significant possibility disposal wells caused seismic activity in the Dallas area. But I think Dallas is is better prepared for earthquakes than Oklahoma, don't you? What the frack? We are losers. Bum, 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 bum. From CPR, a look forward. This is tomorrow talk. The future tense without the tension. I'm Mary Edith Barzillay. Digital or cryptocurrency was the last decade's leap forward. But once you've amassed your own cash of non-cash money, what can you spend it on? This decade has the answer. Non-fungible tokens, or NFTs, have become collectibles before most people have even heard of them. CPR's arts and money correspondent Calvin Ham joins me today from San Francisco to explain. Hi, Calvin. Hi, Mary Edith. How are you? Well, I'm great. And you? Pretty good, actually. How is it out there today? Sunny and warm? <laughs> Never that warm in this city, I'm afraid. Huh. Can I get you some water? No, I'm good. And I'm 
3,000 miles away. Great. So let's talk about NFTs. You sure we've done all the niceties? Positive. Okay, then. So NFTs are digital files. We're all familiar with songs on, or our shows on digital files, right? Kind of. I, I still have my CDs. Well, I'd say to sell them, but you'll probably be the only potential buyer. <laughs> but the digital files in the NFT space could be anything, an artwork, a film, a frame from a film, or just a frame. Uh, there can always be any number of perfect digital copies of any of these things, but the NFT has a unique identifier registered on the blockchain, and that's what gives it its value. You can buy or sell it in perpetuity or even longer. But, okay, but but why would I? Well, you'd buy it in order to sell it later on at a higher price, just like a painting. But but, but paintings that are copies are, are called forgeries. And that's why the unique digital identifier gives NFTs their value. Forgeries don't have those. Hmm. An NFT of an artwork recently sold for almost $70 million. But that's old news. You've got the future of NFTs in focus? Sure do. Uh, Stig Boganovich is a creative who sees how this new marketplace can be valuable for people like himself. A tiny percentage of creative people make most of the money from the art or the films or the music. We used to call them stars. Almost always they had to actually create some version of what they had in mind and bring it to life. But uh, every creative person has lots of cool ideas that for one reason or another they can't actually... uh, create in real life, money or technical know-how or whatever, but imagine a creative who makes a digital file, a memo, a video selfie, describing the idea. You register that on the blockchain, this distributed ledger, you get that unique digital ID, bang, you get digital money for something you thought of but never did. The ID being unique creates scarcity and that's what attracts the buyers. We all know people who buy paintings they don't like because they're not a mass-produced item. In the case of NFTs, it could be a mass-produced item, and yet each version of it is one of a kind. So the NFT of my first unmade feature film, Zombie vs. Vampire, will be nothing more or less than a PDF of the three-page summary of the story. There'll be an edition of 11, and we've already got an offer of $1,000 for number one. Of course, the more we sell, the rarer they get. That's the magic. So, Calvin, Mm -hmm. you could say in this new world, the very scarcity is the product. Sure, Mary Edith, although product itself is an outdated concept. Mm -hmm. At least in Stig's construct, the product, which was the middleman between the creator and the buyer, has been removed. What the buyer owns, in case you're wondering, Mm -hmm. is the right to say that he's the owner of whatever it is that makes his file unique. Which is that identifier. Absolutely. In all reality terms, that's no more unreal than, say, owning an option to buy a share of stock later on. Mm. And to Stig Boganovich, the new reality of selling digital copies of ideas will help a lot more creative people survive whatever else is next. Mm. Given the very low barrier to entry into the NFT market, they might even have a brighter future than the people who actually bring their ideas to fruition. We might come to even question the meaning of fruition. So, next time you have a report for us, you can just sum it up in a sentence, make it an NFT, and you won't even have to present it on the air. Or anywhere, for that matter. That really does sound like the future, or at least a future. (laughs) Calvin Ham, thanks for the report. See you, Mary Edith. Take care, Calvin. Thanks. Oh, you too. Thank you. 
Along for the ride on this edition of Tomorrow Talk are our friends at the Conceptionasium, creators of the self-closing tote bag. This vision of the future is now in the past. I'm Mary Louise Barzillet. Join me for the next one all too soon. This is CPR, Continental Public Radio. Karen wants to scream. Karen wants to shout. Karen wants to tell us all. What Karen's all about. Karen's very white. always right And Karen likes to fight with every cop who asks why she isn't driving on the right Karen is yearning for the day
From Southern California, this is Le Show, and speaking of Karens, this may be our first Karen apology on the Apologies of the Week. So sorry. That's exciting, isn't it? A Florida woman who was seen in a widely watched video intentionally coughing on a shopper at a Pier 1 home goods store last summer was sentenced this week to 30 days in jail. Woman Deborah Hunter, 53, had been charged with misdemeanor assault in June after she walked up and coughed on the shopper Heather Sprague, who had been recording video of Miss Hunter's dispute with employees at the store in Jacksonville. Miss Sprague said in court she had started recording Miss Hunter after watching her berate store employees for 15 minutes over an argument that Miss Hunter wanted to return. Miss Sprague said she had undergone surgery to remove a brain tumor 10 months earlier. It was still undergoing treatment when Miss Hunter saw that she was recording and made an obscene gesture. Quote, I think I'll get real close to you and cough on you then. How's that? Miss Hunter says in the video as she approaches the cell phone and then coughs. Miss Sprague, who said, who said she was wearing a mask at the time, testified that Miss Hunter had left, in fact, spittle on her face. The defendant's act of coughing in my face at the height of a pandemic was an act that was calculated to attack me at my weakest point physically and psychologically. She told the judge, I was stunned in the moment and increasingly fearful in the aftermath. After the encounter, Miss Sprague said she struggled to find a COVID test. Diagnostics were not widely available at the time. Ultimately, she tested negative. Miss Hunter said she felt remorse and guilt from one very poor decision that had cost her three children nearly all of their friends and made her feel like a pariah in her community. She said her children had been greatly affected by the hundreds of text messages, emails, phone calls, social media threats, and even hand-delivered letters she'd received after the video of her coughing on Miss Spray gained widespread attention. The reality is that my family has been permanently scarred, Miss Hunter told the judge. 
Although that scar may fade over time, it will never completely disappear. I can overcome the ostracization, Miss Hunter added. I deserve it. My children do not. She told the judge the video showed her in the worst possible light on my worst possible day. Her husband told the court a fire had forced the family from their house, among other hardships they had endured. That day, Miss Hunter said, the pin just stuck in the balloon, and unfortunately for Miss Sprague, you know, she was the recipient of that. And for that, I apologize. The judge took issue with Miss Hunter's testimony, saying she'd expressed more concern for her family than for Miss Sprague. Once a Karen, a popular South Korean cosmetics brand has apologized for confusion after selling a beauty product that is less environmentally friendly than its packaging suggests. Last year, Innisfree launched a green tea beauty product in what it called a paper bottle. The new look product was released as part of the brand's initiative to reduce the use of plastic packaging. This week, one customer questioned the product's eco-friendly credentials. The customer from South Korea, in a Facebook post, shared photos of the product showed it was actually packaged in a plastic bottle wrapped in paper. The customer accused the brand of greenwashing and misleading marketing. That post has been shared widely in South Korea, prompting debate about the labeling of purportedly green products. Some critics cast doubt on the brand's commitment to reducing plastic waste. Innisfree clarified the labeling on the packaging of its green tea seed serum in a statement sent to the BBC. This product is called Paper Bottle to make it easier to explain the role of paper labels wrapping outside of the bottle. A spokesperson explained really well. Quote, however, we understand that the entire container can be seen as paper material because of the product name. We're deeply sorry for the confusion caused, and we'll try to deliver more accurate information to you. Unquote. And it's free does say the product's plastic bottle uses 51% less plastic than previous packaging. French DJ Michel Gobert has apologized for showcasing racist, slanty-eyed paper masks on social media. The longtime music collaborator for Chanel and a couple, uh, Fendi and a couple other designers first posted a video on Instagram of a private dinner Thursday night. In the clip, eight dinner, ma- guests, eight dinner guests can be seen holding the masks while yelling, Wuhan girls, wahoo! Post soon received backlash from industry influencers, including Susanna Lau, Brian Gray Yambao, Tina Craig, Diet Prada, and model Chu Wong. See, WWD knows who these people who these people are. Quote, Water begin with this. The patently racist paper maskers with the slanted eyes cut out, which are basically an Asian version of blackface, Lau said in a series of Instagram stories. The dumb reference to Wuhan girls obviously, obviously tickling Michel Gobert to no end as he and his pals loll around with their effing horrible masks whilst Asians are getting beaten up because of people conflating the origins of virus with people's ethnicity. Lau added, She's genuinely upset. These are people I mix with, well, pre-COVID. What lies beneath the smiles and niceties I don't know anymore. Yumbao said it was 
He was surprised that no one at that dinner thought that it was not nice to do this and it was not nice to post it, not wise to post it on social media. On Friday morning, Gobert issued a statement on Instagram to apologize and deleted the original post. I want to reiterate my apologies to anyone who has heard about my inconsiderate and stupid post, he said. I'm extremely sorry for this lack of dignity, especially in the times we are going through now. Asian hate is not acceptable, and I condemn it like any other hate. I've always been embracing every culture in whatever I do, and I'm devastated when I see what is going on in the world today, yet I failed when I thought I could not. We all learn something every day, and I realize it is not enough. I'm committed to hold myself accountable and become a better person, as I'm convinced that we should all live in harmony and fight against every form of racism. Unquote. DJ Michelle Gobert. Dateline Washington, the House Ethics Committee announced this week it is investigating sexual misconduct allegations involving, no, not Matt Gates, not him, but also Representative Tom Reed of New York, who had announced he will not be seeking re-election after the allegations first surfaced last month. He was accused of rubbing a female lobbyist's back and unhooking her brassiere without her consent at a networking event in Minneapolis. Well, that's networking, isn't it? The lobbyist, Nicolette Davis, told the Washington Post that Reed appeared to be drunk when he touched her back and legs. The two were seated next to each other during a networking trip. Reed apologized to Davis shortly after the story became public and said in a statement that the incident occurred, quote, at a time in my life in which I was struggling. He entered treatment that year and realized he was, quote, powerless over alcohol. He also apologized to his wife and children and to Davis and said he planned, quote, to dedicate my time and attention to making amends for my past actions, unquote. He had been among the members of Congress calling for the resignation of Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo over sexual harassment allegations. In late February, Reed said he was seriously considering running for governor of New York against Cuomo. Well, he seems to be qualified. A YouTuber recorded himself entering SpaceX's Starship rocket facilities in South Texas last month, freely sauntering on site. This is the place owned by Elon Musk. He must have been busy fixing the Teslas. No security stopped him from wandering around the underside of the 16-story-tall rocket prototype that would launch and explode just a few days later. NASA takes safety and security very seriously, said a spokeswoman for the agency that has a contract with SpaceX to help mature its design. The uh, person known as Caesar entered the rocket site and seemingly moved around SpaceX hardware and equipment with ease. Recording close-ups of Starship SN-11's Raptor engines. Yes, it was wrong. Yes, it was illegally said in the apology video. But in my eyes, in that time of moment, I didn't really think about that. What went through my mind was, okay, I'm never going to get this opportunity again. So I went for it. And, well, this happened. The site has had similar security issues before. A couple of years ago, a SpaceX fan was arrested after posting pictures of himself near another Starship prototype to social media. But they don't need security on Mars. Deadline Nagata Japan, the president of TEPCO, the Tokyo Electric Power Company, this week again apologized for a string of misconduct 
at uh, his nuclear power plant in Niigata Prefecture. This is according to the Asahi Shimbun. Uh, that string of misconduct, as they put it, revealed dangerous holes in the company's anti-terrorism security measures. Quote, I am deeply sorry about causing great anxiety and distrust among local residents and the public. Tomoaki Kobayakawa said at a news conference in Niigata. TEPCO failed to notice malfunctioning of equipment designed to detect unauthorized entry to controlled access areas at a nuclear plant and left the situation uncorrected at multiple sites for more than 30 days since March last year. In addition, a TEPCO employee entered a central control room at that plant using a colleague's ID in September in violation of security protocol. In response, the Nuclear Regulation Authority of Japan ordered the utility not to load a direct a reactor at the plant with nuclear material late last month, effectively blocking the company's plan to restart the facility as soon as it can. The head of TEPCO said he will voluntarily take a 30% monthly salary reduction for six months. An investigation will be launched into why such incidents took place. TEPCO will, in the planned investigation, examine whether its employees shared heightened awareness of the vital importance of safeguarding nuclear material and security of the nuclear plants. It will also look into systemic problems of the utility, TEPCO, concerning security. Get Elon Musk in there to run that place, and they will get it together. The third season of TV Chosan reality show Taste of Wife, this is in uh, South Korea, will end earlier than planned as actress Ham So Won and the show's producers apologized this week for fabricating many elements of the so-called reality show. The designer of a T-shirt worn by Jay-Z featuring a historic Kenyan mosque has apologized to clerics who criticized the use of its image. He was uh, spotted wearing the T-shirt, showing the Riyadh Mosque end of last month as he came out of a restaurant right here in Santa Monica, California. The images were uploaded to Instagram by both the T-shirt designer, Zeddy Loki, who is Kenyan, and the clothing, clothing brand, Blackbird Jeans with many vowels missing in the name. And finally, singer and actress Cher apologized for a controversial statement she made on social media Friday where she su suggested she might have been able to prevent the death of George Floyd. She experienced backlash from Twitter users. After she um, expressed the thought she might have been able to save his life, had she been in Minneapolis and been able to intervene at the time of the arrest. Was talking with mom, and she said, I watched trial policeman who killed George Floyd and cried. I said, Mom, I know this is going to sound crazy, all capitals, but I kept thinking maybe if I'd been there, I could have helped. The spark, that uh, tweet sparked widespread criticism, including accusations of her having a white savior complex. Another said, if the firefighter EMS who tried to intervene didn't succeed, you had no chance. Do you think you have some kind of magical power? Cher's initial response to the controversy was to defend her stance by telling followers, you don't know what I've done, who I am, or what I believe. I can, I have, and I will help, unquote. Several hours later, after speaking with a friend, Cher returned to Twitter with an apology. You can piss people off and hurt them by not knowing everything that's not appropriate, 
in quotes, to say, I know people apologize when they're in a jam, but to God, I'm truly sorry if I upset anyone in black community. I know my heart. And every word in that tweet was capitalized. What does that remind you of? Ladies and gentlemen, the Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Behind the eyes, you take the strain to keep the pain away. Deny the lies, you hide so not to give the game away. Sorry to see you down once more. news of this very, very smart world we're living in. Maybe it's too smart. A programming error in the software used by a British airline called TUI. Uh, The software is used to check in passengers. That led to miscalculated flight loads on three flights last July, a potentially serious safety issue, according to the British tech journal The Register. The error occurred according to a report released this week by the UK Air Accidents Investigation Branch, because the check-in software treated travelers identified as miss in the passenger list as children and assigned them a weight of around 77 pounds instead of the 152 pounds for an adult. The report attributes the error to cultural differences in how the term miss is understood or Misunderstood. System programming was not carried out in the UK, and in the country where it was performed, the title Miss was used for a child and Ms. for an adult female. Hence the error, the report says. The uh, 
airline ignored the question of in what country was the system programming done. But it did say, and you can say it with me, I think you know it by now, the health and safety of our customers and crew is always our primary concern, said the spokesperson. Flight load miscalculations have the potential to affect aircraft handling and to create serious safety issues. Figures are used for figuring out fuel levels, altitude, takeoff thrust, and so forth. That's smart. And so is this SpaceX's Starlink. Yes, the same one that would be taking off from that uh, not-quite-secure field in Texas, has been described as the solution to dismal rural broadband. It's also from the register, but like any project linked to uh, Elon Musk, the satellite internet constellation is surrounded by hype and controversy. An analyst, Moffat Nathanson, that's a firm, isn't sure that this will work. A new report published this week expressed doubts about Starlink's ability to cover the U.S. market in its current form, citing bandwidth concerns and end-user consumption rates, like streaming movies in 4K. The outfit suggested Starlink's total addressable market based on the company reaching its lofty goals to deploy 12,000 satellites hovers just, well, around half a million households. Part of the problem, said Moffat Nathanson, is that there aren't enough satellites and they aren't pointing in the right direction. These factors limit SpaceX's ability to deploy a proper nationwide broadband service. And it's not cheap. Besides that, customers pay a $500 setup fee for the dish, which costs SpaceX $1,300 to manufacture. There's your profit, Elon. The ongoing $99 subscription fee will deter some in rural areas, too, although federal subsidies will make the product more widely accessible. And SpaceX has faced opposition on this front. The uh, cable people don't think the satellite people should get a federal subsidy. Why doesn't everybody get a federal subsidy? The world is that smart. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. That's all there is. There ain't no more. But more next week. Easy. Same time on these radio stations. Your time. You choose the time when it's on the audio device of your choice. You do have to wear a mask, but otherwise you're free. And it would be just like being free if you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Already, thank you very much, uh huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO in New Orleans for help with today's thing. The email address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and the playlist 
of the music you hear here, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network. So long from the home of the homeless.